Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. Isn't it amazing in all of the turmoil that we've been through the last couple of months, uh, God still gives us peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. The world doesn't understand it because they don't have the Spirit of God living in them like we do, the Holy Spirit. But he gives us peace even in the midst of turmoil. And I pray that there's peace in your home. Let's talk about that tonight. Ephesians chapter 6, I want to begin reading in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we ask you to make this truth real in every home. I thank you for Christian parents. I thank you for the the children who have come to know you. Lord, we pray that you would encourage parents and encourage children and young people tonight to understand what you want in families. I lift them up to you and ask that, that you speak to each of us now. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Dr. Al Moeller, who's the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, back in 2013 wrote these words, Father's Day is fast becoming America's most socially awkward holiday. The reason is very simple. The culture increasingly sees fathers as accessories, not necessities. In some communities, as many as 80% of all babies are born to single mothers. A host of Hollywood actresses and entertainment figures have opted to have babies without husbands or fathers. And you add to this, the local sperm bank now makes it all possible, or it makes it possible with a man's contribution, and you can have a baby with an anonymous background. What's lost in all of this? Well, W. Bradford Wilcox of the University of Virginia argues that fathers play an essential role in the raising of children. (laughs) Imagine that. His recent study, Religion, Race, and Relationships in Urban America, suggests that fathers play a, a very important role in five specific domains of children's lives. He explains, fathers serve this unique role in providing financially for their children, protecting their children from abuse and neglect, teaching their children how to regulate their bodies and emotions through play, disciplining their children, especially boys, and modeling good male-female relationships to their sons and daughters. His study is important because it adds social science data and analysis to what we already know. 
that fathers really do matter. And that the absence of fathers today shows that our nation is in big trouble. He goes on to explain, and I quote, in urban America, the social science indicates that children who grow up intact married families are significantly more likely to to succeed in schools, to avoid teenage pregnancy, and to steer clear of the law. His research is directed toward the social sector in which fathers are least likely to be found, the inner city. And as he explains, my interviews with inner city women and mothers suggest that many of them do not think that fathers play a central role in the rearing of children. They think that single mothers can do just as good a job on average as married couples. Of course, this notion is also common among well-educated professional women. His research also indicated that church attendance and involvement was a major factor in encouraging men to fulfill their roles as husbands and fathers. In urban areas, men who attend church are more likely to abide by a code of decency that requires fathers to provide, protect, and participate in the lives of their children and in the lives of the children's mother. Wilcox pointed to four key findings of his research. First finding, children living with their fathers in an intact married home are almost 50% less likely to be sexually abused than children living in a single parent home. The second finding, boys who grow up with their fathers in an intact married home are 50% less likely to end up in prison as young adults than children living in a single parent or step family. The third finding, girls who grow up apart from their fathers typically experience the onset of puberty at an earlier age and have sex at an earlier age than girls who grow up with their fathers in an intact married home. They are also three times more likely to become young, unwed mothers. And the fourth finding, communities with large numbers of fatherless households are significantly more likely to experience high levels of murder and robbery. This is from a study that's not a Christian-based, it's from the University of Virginia, The Christian understanding of the role and importance of fathers has always been established in the Bible. Nevertheless, it's interesting to note that the expanding number of credible studies that point like Bradford Wilcox to the importance of fathers and to the social and personal cost of marginalizing fatherhood in the culture. One of the greatest responsibilities ever given a couple is raising children. Now let me say something. If you're in a single parent home, that is not an indictment against you. And I, if I admire somebody, it's single parents because I don't know how they do it. They have to do it with the help of God. They have to do it with a lot of help. But I want you to know that we're going to talk about parents tonight. Whether you're a single parent, you're married parents, we're going to talk about that. But first... We're going to look at God's command to children. God's command to children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. I want you first to notice the precept, the teaching of this. This is not a suggestion. This is the teaching of God's word. And this precept is really broken down into two parts. The first one being your actions as a child. Children are to obey their parents. Now, this word means to submit to, to comply with, to follow directions and instructions. It can literally mean to hear under. And it means that a child is to listen to his or her parents attentively and they're to do as they are told. This obedience in the home lays the foundation for obedience throughout life. If you don't learn to obey at home, you're going to have trouble the rest of your life in society. Humanity is the only part of God's creation that walks in rebellion to the word of God. We walk in rebellion. As children learn to obey their parents, they're setting the stage for obedience in their lives. Believe it or not, you're going to be obeying the rest of your life, not necessarily your parents because there will come a time when you will leave your parents home and you will always honor them and respect them. But if you are out from under their protection and their provision, then you don't necessarily have to obey them. You become adults. They can give you advice, but, but as long as you're at home, as long as you're under their roof, as long as you're under their provision, Bible's pretty clear. Obey your parents. Hmm. If you don't learn to obey your parents, you're going to have trouble at school. You're going to have trouble with the government. You're going to have trouble later on in your life because I want to tell you something. You will always walk under someone else's authority. Always. We do it now. We claim that we're free in this country. You're walking under authority. You drive the speed limits, you obey the laws, you pay taxes, you go to school, you do what the, you have authority and you've got to learn it at home. So it starts with actions. The second thing is it involves your attitude. Children are told to honor their parents. And the word honor means to respect, to revere, to hold in high regard. It speaks of your attitude toward your mom and dad. A, a wicked child may obey the voice of his parents, but secretly despise them in their heart. Yeah, I'm going to obey you because I have to. But I don't like you. You may outwardly obey, but then carry this bitterness or this anger toward them, cursing them, talking behind their back. That's the wrong attitude. And where do, they, where do they see this? Have you ever noticed in commercials or Nickelodeon or MTV cartoons, have you ever noticed how they make parents look stupid? They do. Ah, your parents. Even movies, they're supposed to be family friendly unless they're Christian based. Even some of the family-friendly movies, they've got children that have the worst attitude spouting off to their parents and speaking to them. Children should have respect for their parents. They should be careful not to talk back to their parents. They should respect them as parents 
and not put them down to their friends. I know they're gonna, you're not gonna agree with everything they do. You wanna do what you want. You were born selfish, so you want to do what you wanna do, but your attitude ought to be, these folks love me, I'm going to honor them. Children who honor their parents have little trouble honoring the Lord one day. But if you don't honor your parents, you're gonna have a hard time honoring the Lord or any other authority figure. A child who will disrespect his parents will usually have little respect for anyone else. And we're seeing that today. Adult children are often guilty of ignoring their aging parents or abusing their aging parents or meeting their needs. So the teaching here is to obey your parents in actions and attitudes. Now notice the premise that's mentioned in the Lord. And while a child is told to obey his parents, that obedience is conditioned. What if your parents ask you to break the law or to do something that's immoral? No, don't do it. In the Lord. When the commands of a parent contradict the clear teachings of the Bible... Well, follow the Lord first. Of course, this truth runs through every area of life. No parent or spouse or authority figure in our lives has the right to command us to do anything that's illegal or immoral or what contradicts the word of God. We're to place his word in our lives first. I'm gonna honor you, Lord, and to honor you, Lord, I'm gonna obey my parents unless they ask me to do something that is contrary to your word. So, I also want you to notice the promise here. Your very life depends on it. What? What are you talking about? Did you hear the promise? This is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. There's two parts to that promise. The first deals with the quality of life. We're told in verse two and three that obeying one's parents brings God's promise of blessing. When a child honors his parents, he's honoring God and God always blesses those who honor him and obey him. God's promise to obedient children is that they will have an improved quality of life, that it may be well with you. Doesn't mean you'll be wealthy or rich or have no problems. But things are going to be well with you. If you are already always miserable, let's go back to first pro, the first commandment with promise. Obey your mom and dad. But you don't know my parents. I don't have to know them. God knows them. And if you're going to honor the Lord, you obey your parents when you're under their household. I'm not talking about after you're grown and married. You're a family of your own. Don't obey. You don't have to do everything they tell you to do. But right now, when they're raising you, unless they're abusive or unless they are asking you to do something wrong, the Lord says, listen, if you want to have quality of life, obey your parents. But it also talks about quantity of life, that you may live long on the earth. Do you want to have not only quality, but a longevity, a quantity of life? You've got to follow your parents. The Bible makes it clear the Lord will bless that child who honors his parents. Proverbs 6, 20, verses 20 through 23. My son, 
Keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Young people, you don't know everything. You think you do, but you don't. You think you know what's best for you. Not always. You think, I, know, I can tell you, you know what you want to do, but it's not always the best for you. And then notice the proclamation that is made, for this is right. That statement reveals to the child why he should obey and honor his parents. When a child honors and obeys his parents, he's doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. You want to do what God wants you to do? Obey your parents with the right attitude and the right actions. You see, children are not told to obey and honor so that they might please their parents. They're told to obey and honor so they might please God. And when your first thought is living a life that is pleasing and honoring to the Lord, your obedience to and honor of your parents will be an automatic outflow. I want to please the Lord who saved me. I'm going to obey my parents. And when God is your first parent and you obey and honor him, you'll have no trouble obeying and honoring your mom and dad or your mom or your dad, whoever has you. So God's commandment to children, that's pretty straightforward and clear. You're not going to find any loopholes. Again, doesn't mean you are to be abused. And and your thought, what I mean is physically, sexually, emotionally abused. There are people that can help. But if you've got Christian parents and they tell you to do something, do it. It's that simple. If you want to please God, do it. Well, it may not be reasonable. Well, in your mind it may not be, but you still, God holds them accountable for your upbringing. And I can promise you, you're not always going to agree with their decisions, but one of these days, you're going to appreciate it. Now, let's move from the children to the parents. Let's talk about God's charge to parents. He now turns his attention from children to parents. I wrote these down for you. Here are 10 parenting laws. Number one, the later you stay up, the earlier your child will wake up the next morning. Number two, for a child to become clean, something else must become dirty. Number three, toys toys multiply to fill any space available. If you've got children at home, you know what I'm talking about. Number four, the longer it takes you to make a meal, the less your child will like it. Number five, yours is always the only child who doesn't behave. (laughs) Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Number six, if the shoe fits, it's expensive, especially for children. Number seven, the surest way to get something done is to tell a child not to do it. Number eight, the gooier the food, the more likely it is to end up on the carpet. Number nine, backing the car out of the driveway causes your child to have to go to the bathroom. And 10, the more challenging the child, the more rewarding it is to be a parent, sometimes. 
You'll notice the word fathers in verse four. Now, in this context, it can refer to both parents. So it's not just fathers, but mothers. But I believe Paul wrote the word fathers because in this context and in what's going on right now, it was very necessary for the society that he lived in because folks, I want to tell you, in Paul's era, families were even more dysfunctional than they are in our society. It was not uncommon in some Greek and Roman cultures for men and women to have 20 marriages in a lifetime. Mutual love among the members of a family was almost non-existent. In fact, most fathers ruled the home with an iron fist and history tells us that in that day, the father held the power of life and death over his family. In that day, a father could force his children out of the home at any time, at any age. He could sell them as slaves. He could enslave them, chain them, force them to work in the fields. He could take the law into his own hands and declare any sentence he pleased. He could even have them put to death and answer to no one for his actions. Infants were placed at the father's feet for him to inspect. If he picked up the child, it was accepted into the family and cared for. If he walked away, the child was simply disposed of. Babies like these who were healthy were picked up, taken to the forum, and sold to be raised as slaves and prostitutes. The Roman statesman Seneca, who lived in Rome while Paul was imprisoned, wrote these words, quote, We slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge a knife into a sick cow, children born weak or deformed, we drown. Now that's the backdrop to which these words were written. A recent study found that the primary reason most children end up in foster care is not divorce or death or finances, but simply disinterest on the part of the parents. They simply do not care about the welfare of a child. Folks, in that background, when you see these words, can you imagine a man who'd come to Christ going, whoa, this changes everything. The first thing you see here is a prohibition. We're told, do not provoke your children to wrath. Now, this phrase refers to a pattern of treatment that builds up resentment in the child. Parents are to avoid causing their children to boil with anger all the time, just kind of brood with anger. When children are provoked to wrath, it, they may act out in anger and open hostility to parents and other authority figures. So how does a parent provoke a child to wrath? How, you want to provoke your child to wrath. How do you do it? Let me give you some suggestions. First of all, by being overprotective. Parents will refuse to allow their children to grow up and make decisions 
equal to their age and maturity. Have you ever seen anybody that just is a satellite over their children all the time? I'm not talking about when they're little. I'm talking about when they're old enough to start making a few decisions of their own. One, one person said, I have five brothers, five siblings. I have three sisters and two brothers. If you grew up in a family that had more than one child, you know how your parenting skills sort of change from the first to the last. <laughs> he said, this is a mom is talking. She said, I, well, actually, this is one of the siblings. I had five, five siblings, three sisters, two brothers. One night, I was chatting with my mom about how she had changed as a mother from the first child to the last. She told me she had mellowed a lot over the years. Here's what she said. When your oldest sister coughed or sneezed, this is the firstborn, I called the ambulance. But when your youngest brother swallowed a dime, I just told him it was coming out of his allowance. Now we change, don't we? As we see that first child we think can break and we, we're, we're very protective. There comes a time when you've, You've got to pull some of the reins off and let them begin to have some responsibility and make their own decisions. Another way to provoke them to wrath is play favorites. Compare one of the children with another one. Why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? How come you make, don't, don't, make, don't make good grades like this one? How come you can't hit the ball like this one? Just compare them. Another way is to have unrealistic expectations. Children who are always under pressure to achieve more and bigger and greater can become resentful. Let your children be children. Not every child is an A student. Not every child is an athlete. Not every child is a cheerleader or a model. Let them be who God designed them to be. Remember that you should never try to relive your childhood through your child. They're not you. I'm sure you heard the story about a young preacher who preached a sermon entitled 10 Rules for Raising Your Kids. A few years later, he and his wife had a couple of kids. And while his kids were in lower elementary school, he changed the title of his sermon to 10 Principles for Raising Your Kids. A few years later, when his kids were in the preteens, he changed the title of his sermon again to 10 Suggestions for Raising Your Kids. And then when his kids became teenagers, he quit preaching that sermon altogether. Another way to provoke your children to wrath is constant, constant discouragement. I hope your child has never heard from you. You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. Children resent constant criticism. Parents should seek to find ways that they can compliment them and, and they excel. Find their gifts. Find their strengths. Tell them about it. I got amused. A little boy brought home a report card, had some bad marks on it. So he handed it to his father and he said, Dad, here is my report card and here is one of your old ones that I found in the attic. You see, we can really discourage them. You want to provoke them to wrath, label them as a nuisance. Children should never be made to feel that they are in the way. 
And I've, I've heard people, I've heard couples say, you know, we, well, now that we have a child, we just can't do anything anymore. A child is a gift from God. It's not something to be thrown away. It's, it's a gift. It's, they're, they're not a nuisance. They're not in the way. You want to provoke your children to wrath? Try to mature them too quickly. Now, I will tell you, we have a tendency to be harder on our firstborn than we do the ones down the line. We make them grow up in a hurry. But mom and dad, it's okay. It's okay if your children act like children. I know there are limits. They should not be expected to act like they're 25 when they're nine years old. You can provoke your children to wrath by using love as a reward or a punishment. That is, we we love our children when they're good and we withdraw our love when they're bad. We make them feel unloved when they do wrong. Children should know that they are loved unconditionally. They're going to mess up. They're going to make mistakes. But you never stop loving them. And by the way, it wouldn't hurt for you to tell them that you love them and tell them often. Another way to provoke your children to wrath is using physical and verbal abuse. Folks, I I believe, I'm one of the old school guys that still believes that the word of God teaches you spank your children when they need it. Not all the time, but occasionally they need it. Don't spank them in anger. Wait till you've cooled off. You won't want to do it then. But then you will do it in the right way and you need to teach them. There's no point in using a cannon to kill a mosquito. By the same token, a child should never have to be berated or belittled by a verbally abusive parent. Sometimes we can say things when we're angry that are harsh and cruel to our children and they won't forget it. So how do, you, uh, how do you keep from provoking them to wrath? It's, there's a prohibition here that says don't do that. So what do we do? Well, let's talk about the pattern. We've seen the negative. That's the prohibition. Now let's look at the positive, at the pattern. And there's a, several things to this pattern. The first thing is to bring them up, to embrace them. This phrase has the idea of nourishing them. We tend to keep them like we would a tender plant. We want this plant to grow. We're to help them reach their fullest potential in the Lord, help them to be all that they can be. And if we're going to do this, we're going to have to invest the one thing that most parents are not willing to invest, time. I know that there's some positive things that have come out of this pandemic and sheltering at home. And one of the positive things, I hope it's, because I guess it could be negative too. Negative in the sense that parents haven't spent this much time with their children in a long time and the children may have aggravated them to the point that they become abusive. And you know that child abuse has gone up in the last two months. On the other hand, the positive part of that is some people are being able to spend time with their family and their children that they've never been able to spend before. 
The average father in America, I don't know where this statistic came from or how they got it, but the average father in America spends a whopping 3.7 seconds, average, 3.7 seconds with his children every day. Maybe he just says bye on the way to work or whatever. Is it any wonder we're raising a generation that doesn't think too much of fathers? I've forgotten the author of the book. There's a a book entitled For Fathers Who Are Not in Heaven. And basically it's the fathers who are still here on this earth. But one of the things that stuck out in my mind about that in that book, it was talking about fathers and how they can be helpful with their children. He said, fathers, you need to spend fat time, F-A-T, fat time with your children. <laughs> when I first read it, I thought, well, I'm not going to have any problem with that. But it stands for focused attention time. Focused attention time. It breaks my heart when I see dads who are sitting in the same room with their children and the children are playing or whatever and mom or dad are on their phone. They're not focused. Focused attention time is one way to help nourish them. To to just... Play with them a minute. I'm telling you, as a, as a father whose children are now grown and gone, you're going to miss that time. You're going to miss that time. I know they're little. I know that they can be taxing. I know you're exhausted. That's why God allows you to have them when you're young because you still have the energy and the stamina to do it. But it's only a season. It won't last long. Another thing is to enlighten them. It's just to nurture them has the idea of the whole education of the child. It refers to the daily discipline of verbal instruction. Teach them something. Don't let the television teach them. You teach them. We're to see that in our children that they learn what they need to be under our care. Teach them how to wash the dishes. Teach them how to wash the clothes. Teach them how to fold clothes. Teach them how to put stuff in the dishwasher. Teach them, teach them, teach them. It takes time to teach them. I know you're tired. I know you don't feel like it, but you're not doing them. You are doing them a disservice if you don't teach them some basic skills of life. The third thing is to educate them. Admonition. Nurture and admonition, it means to counsel and encourage and discipline. It refers to the act of guiding children toward maturity. The word literally is putting in mind and also includes the connotation of correction. It does not have to do as much to do with factual information as with the right attitudes and principles of behavior. Help them to process. When when you read the Bible to them or you read one of God's stories, 
Help them to process what does that mean for you and me? How can we place our faith in God? How can we trust him? But I want to tell you, parents, you can't be phonies. You're not perfect. I know that. But don't use the phrase, don't do as I do, do as I say. We've got to train by attitudes and examples and words. Do you realize that children have 50% of their knowledge by the age of three? 50% of their knowledge by the age of three. 75% of their knowledge by the age of seven. Educate them. Teach them. There are times when we've got to give them direction in life. There are times when we've got to give them encouragement. And there are times when we must give them discipline. All of these things are used by wise parents to help educate them, the right measure to help their children become the men and women that God wants them to be. Bring them up in the training, the nurture and admonition, and then finally, evangelize them. In the Lord, the admonition of the Lord. <laughs> I've, I've heard parents say, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, force my kids on the church or the Lord. I'm just going to let them make their own decisions, their own choices. Well, then why don't you just go out of here and set them down in the street and let them die? It's your job to lead them that way. We're to steep them in the word of God, not our opinions, not our preferences, not our prejudices. And when we train them in the things of the Lord, they're gonna grow up and glorify the Lord with their own lives. And all we do for our children, we give them no greater gift than when we point them to Jesus Christ. If our love and our discipline and our encouragement and our instruction are centered in the word of God, then we're more likely to raise kids that are in the will of God. I know they're going to make their own decisions. I know they'll break their heart, but don't wait until they're teenagers to go, oh my word, I've got to, uh, they're, they're headed down the wrong direction. I guess I need to get them in church. I guess I need to get them in the youth group. I guess I need to get them in that. They're going to catch it from you. If you love Jesus, and you lead them that way, teach them to love Jesus. And when they love Jesus, they'll love the church, they'll love God's people, evangelize them. So in closing, let me tell you this. If you're listening to me, you're a teenager, bestow a little grace on your parents. They're not perfect. And if you wanna know the truth, they are scared to the core that they're going to do something wrong to point you the wrong direction. They don't want you to make some of the same mistakes they've made and they don't want you to harm yourself and they want you to grow up to be a productive child of God. They want the best for you. They may not have money to buy everything they want to buy for you, but they love you and you need to obey them and respect them and honor them. And parents, if you have children at home, thank God for them. It won't be long. It won't be long. 
you'll be able to hear yourself think in the house. <laughs> You're going to wish there was some noise in your house. Treasure every moment that you have with them. Let me lead us in prayer, and then I want to tell you something. God, thank you for your word. I pray for parents. I know that some parents' hearts are broken today because the children have rebelled or making wrong decisions or headed the wrong path. I pray you give them extra wisdom and grace and strength to know what to do because, Lord, you were the perfect parent, and yet your children rebelled in the garden, so it happens. I pray that you would help them love their children. If, if, if there are parents watching that have little kids at home and they are about to, they're wondering if there'll ever be peace in their home again. I pray that you give them encouragement and let them see that every precious child they have is a gift and one will one day honor you. I pray that you'll love, let them love them and, and be patient with them to discipline them and at the same time encourage them guide them and evangelize them. God, please be with parents today. Thank you for loving us. I thank you for my parents that taught me as a boy about you and um, helped me see the important things in life, you being the top priority. So Lord, I lift up the families, the parents and children who've watched this evening and ask that you'll bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Southcrest Wednesday Night Series featuring Senior Pastor David Wilson. Remember, you can also live stream our Sunday and Wednesday services. Go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about Southcrest Baptist Church. And thanks for listening. <laughs>